Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome to the second episode of season two of Que Pasa HSIs. I am honored to be your host of the show and love the space that it provides to dream about new HSI futures. Each week, the Platica allows us to create new knowledge about HSIs, tell stories about HSIs, and grapple with topics most germane to the HSI community. My commitment is to have guests that can bring a nuanced understanding of HSIs. In this week's episode, I talked to Drs. Yolanda Cataño and Paloma Vargas about the Alliance of Hispanic Serving Institution Educators. ASI is a national organization that works with practitioners supporting Latinx students and Latinx success in HSIs. Yolanda serves as the inaugural executive director of ASI. She previously served as the interim associate dean of institutional effectiveness, equity, and student success at Imperial Valley College, a college situated on the border community between Mexicali, Baja California, Mexico, and Calexico, California. Yolanda earned her BA in women's studies with a minor in theater arts and an MA in sociological practice, both at California State University, San Marcos. She received her doctorate degree from San Diego State University in the Educational Leadership Program with a specialization in community colleges. Dr. Cataño's involvement and commitment to equity, social justice, and diversity are heavily influenced by relationships with practitioners, community members, and institutional leaders that she has helped to create and nurture. Paloma Vargas is the Dean of Math, Science, Health, Kinesiology, and Athletics at Oxnard College, a two-year public HSI. They also serve as president of ASI and has served the organization in many capacities over the years. Dr. Vargas has extensive experience in diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Her focus has been on dismantling policies that negatively affect Black, Latinx, and Native American Indigenous students in higher education. She has served as a facilitator and trainer for faculty in HSIs, is an anti-racist in training, is a member of the Aspiring Radical Leaders Institute, and centers equity in her work. Paloma received her BS in biology from the University of Texas at El Paso and El Paso Community College, and her MS and PhD in medical and molecular parasitology from the Vilsack Institute of Graduate Biomedical Sciences at New York University. I met Yolanda and Paloma at the ASI Best Practices Conference and have been attending the conference every year since 2017. I have worked with them to serve the ASI community and love the space and education that ASI provides. I admire Drs. Cataño and Vargas and wholeheartedly support their work with ASI. I hope you will become involved and attend this year's conference on March 12th through 15th, 2023 in San Francisco, California. I will be there signing books and taking selfies. Say cheese. I hope you enjoyed the show. All righty. Welcome back to Que Pasa HSIs. Today, I'm excited to have our guest, our guests, Drs. Cataño and Vargas, who are going to talk to us today about the Alliance of HSI Educators. Thank you both for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But of course, before we talk about HSIs, we like to learn a little bit about you uh, so that the guests know who, who you are and what you're about and what you represent. 
So let's start with that. Tell us first about your higher education journey from entry to completion. Thank you, Gina. Uh, thank you for having us. First and foremost, um, this is Dr. Vargas or Paloma. Um, and so I'll, I'll just share very quickly. Um, I know there's two of us, so I want to make sure that we both get uh, time to share. Um, I started my higher education journey at El Paso Community College in El Paso, Texas, and was able to uh, pursue an undergraduate degree in biology there. Um, I then was uh, recruited into a research program in STEM. So my background's in microbiology, but I was recruited into a program in STEM, uh, Bridges to the Baccalaureate program through the National Institutes of Health, and was able to transfer to the University of Texas El Paso through the research that I was doing. And I was researching monarch butterflies. Um, I have monarch butterflies tattooed on me now. So that's something that uh, people ask me about what's up with the monarch butterfly. Not only is it migration, but it's also the first research project that I was ever part of. Um, conducting research, I was, you know, able to present. I went to a number of different conferences, including the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans Conference, and was recruited to go to do more research at NYU. Um, I really loved what I did, and I started learning about parasites. Um, and so while everybody else thinks parasites are disgusting, I think they're the coolest things on the planet. I'm very stoked about them. If you get me talking about parasites, I just, I light up. It's like Christmas. Um, but started doing research on parasites and was really interested in host pathogen interactions, um, ended up doing another research experience at UPenn um, and started thinking about genetics. And so genetics and parasites together led me to grad school where I studied um, a, an amoeba um, that is a pathogen and causes a lot of problems in uh, Mexico and Central and South America. Um, and in India and Bangladesh, and uh, was able to then complete my dissertation there. Um, it was fun times in the lab, um, and then was able to uh, leave my graduate school ex behind, finish my doctorate, that was cool, um, and started teaching at the K through 12 or eight through 12 level in Texas, and at the community college there at El Paso Community College and then moved on to my postdoc at Northwestern where I did even more uh, parasite related things and bacteria related things and learned about um, Legionnaire's disease. And that was also really awesome. And then uh, finished my postdoc and here we are, moved forward and uh, we'll talk about other things uh, as we go through. Awesome, thank you, Yolanda. Hi everyone, hola, hola, hola. So this is Yolanda Cataño, or Doctora Cataño, um, as Dr. Garcia likes to say. <laughs> um, so just a little bit about my journey. I've mentioned before that I was born and raised in Mexicali, Baja California, Mexico, and that border town between Calexico and uh, Mexicali, Mexicali being uh, Mexico and Calexico being uh, in the United States. So my whole entire academic journey from the beginning is really influenced by that border region. Um, being raised um, and my first language being Spanish, it really gave me a very different um, experience as a student, having transitioned in middle school more primarily and in high school in the American educational system. So that was really unique for me. 
And then I transitioned into a higher ed at the age of 17. And this was due um, to the fact that I had a really great counselor um, in the program of AVID. So advancement via individual, advancement via individual education, something like that. (laughs) Determination, sorry. So being part of AVID was really great for me and having that counselor because had it not been for that counselor, uh, Dr. Renea Gundes, he really was uh, a big support for me in this journey. So at 17, I landed at Cal State San Marcos. And it was really then that I started to venture what I wanted to study. In the Valley, there is a large concentration of, you know, law enforcement. And also there are two state prisons in the area. So it was it was about that journey that I was considering being a criminal justice major. But then I got into women's studies and I really loved, you know, talking about theory, women, what was my role at that point as a woman having grown up in the Valley. And it was then that I decided to major in women's studies. I was also participating in a lot of plays and really getting into my creative um, identity. Um, And so I minored in theater arts, which is really, really exciting. And then after that, I kind of had a little gap. I went back home. I struggled like a lot of students after my bachelor's degree. And I decided to figure out what I wanted to do. And it was then that I had a conversation with one of my previous mentors from my undergrad in one of our sociology uh, classes. And she was like, why don't you apply for our sociology program? And I was like, oh, I really loved, you know, learning more about sociology, society as a whole. I just didn't know if it was going to be in criminal justice, higher ed. And I was like, well, maybe I could do something in that realm. So that was when I applied for the program. I only applied to that program and I got in. So I also did my master's degree in sociology at Cal State San Marcos, which is also an HSI. It's always, I feel like it's been one of the truest HSIs since its inception because of like the large concentration of Latinx students that it enrolls. And then after that, I was kind of figuring out and navigating what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to do a doctorate program, but I saw Dr. Luke Wood and Dr. Frank Harris one time talk about equity at San Diego Mesa College. And it transformed the way that I envisioned the work of equity working at an HSI, working around HSI communities and partnerships and understanding the world of HSIs. And I was like, you know what, I need to, I need to figure it out. And I had like that pursuit of happiness moment. And I went to them and I was like, Hey, how do I get involved in this work? And that's when Dr. Wood was like, Yolanda, you need to apply for the doctorate program. So I ended up applying to San Diego State's EDD program in educational leadership with a specialization in community colleges. And so I recently graduated with my doctorate. So thank the Lord, baby Tubas, after four <laughs> years. <laughs> and I always say this, so Dr. Garcia was part of my community. I know Paloma will like that. <laughs> and you know, that HSI work is there. And it's always been about HSIs, having been a product and having been through an educational system that has really geared towards that academic success uh, for me. So I'll stop there. Okay, thank you. Two very different pathways. So I assume y'all don't talk about parasites and amoeba or none of that stuff <laughs> together. No, Yolanda, you're not interested. <laughs> oh, we do talk about it. Okay, <laughs> talk about it a little bit, mostly because I I'll start talking about it, and then Yolanda gives me this look of like, what? <laughs> but then she, but then no she gets idea. into it. But then she gets into it, and she's like, oh, this is cool. 
You make it so, seem really interesting. I, I want to know two more now. <laughs> I will be Dr. happy to talk about parasites with you anytime, Dr. Garcia. She has to send you that link to the parasites. So she has little monitos or little figures that she talks about diseases too. And she mm. talked about how there was one for a coronavirus and we're all like laughing that we're going to have that at the retreat for Asi. So <laughs> we do have conversations about it. It does come into the Asi work. All right. All right. <laughs> yes. Now, what, what brings y'all together, of course, is the HSI work, right? And the and so the question that I always ask people, which is a fan favorite, I will tell you, I do get a lot of feedback. People like to hear the servingness journey question. So talk to me a little bit about that, about y'all's path to consciousness, your your path to conocimiento around HSI. Like, how did you, because you both went to HSIs, but it doesn't necessarily mean you knew that you were at HSI. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So similarly to Yolanda, I think we have a lot of really interesting things in common. Like we both grew up on the border, right? So she grew up in Calexico, Mexicali, and I grew up in El Paso in Ciudad Juarez. Um, And so that the schools that I ended up going to, El Paso Community College and the University of Texas El Paso, are both historical HSIs, right? So they're they're similar to what Yolanda mentioned with the University of, um, or Cal State San Marcos, um, so they have this HSI-ness about them, but I had zero clue that that's what they were. I just thought like all universities were like that. Um, and I mentioned in, you know, previous episode or, um, last time we talked that, uh, we just had cool stuff going on. Like sometimes there were like mariachis for no reason, like mariachi Tuesdays. Um, and that was cool. I thought it was awesome. Right. And so then I ended up going to, to very primarily white institutions like NYU and Northwestern, and that wasn't the case. So for me, it was really interesting to, to start thinking about what HSIs were. I ended up going, like I said, to NYU for grad school um, and noticed that there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. So that was something that was really sticking out um, and ended up going into teaching initially because I didn't want to be in that like super white space. Um, and teaching in El Paso was providing me with that cultural balance I think in my life where I could still do what I love which is science and teaching and I could be in a space where there were it was more diverse there were more folks around that could um that could have um conversations with about you know being a Latina or being Latinx or being in science or what all those intersectionalities look like um and one of the great things of being at El Paso Community College was that I had great mentors. Um, Dr. Nick Lanuti was right up there with him, with them. And he basically told me that if I wanted to get a faculty job, that I need to go do a postdoc. Um, and so I went off and did this postdoc at another really white institution at Northwestern in Chicago. And the beautiful thing about Chicago is that Chicago has a good number of HSIs. And so I was in this postdoc where I was doing an institutional research and academic career development award through the National Institutes of Health that allowed postdocing and teaching at the same time. So that was the whole idea was to get more uh, people of color into teaching professions in the, in the professoriate. Um, which by the way, I didn't even know what that meant for like the longest time. And I was like, the professoriate, that sounds like a fancy word. So now that's what I tell my parents that I do. I'm in the professoriate. Um, 
And uh, so I, I end up going to, to Northwestern and the, the partnering school is an HSI, Northeastern Illinois University, a wonderful institution um, in Chicago. And I started working there and my mentor there, um, La Doctora Pam Guedes, uh, Argentinian, awesome, awesome, awesome mentor, um, was at Northeastern and um, started talking to me about HSIs and talking about how NEIU was an HSI and they were really intentional about serving their students. They have this beautiful multicultural center. I don't know if they still call it that, but at the time it was the multicultural center, the Angelina Pedroso Center. And it's stunning. Like you just walk in there and it's this beautiful space. And they had intentionally created spaces for their students, for LGBTQ students, for mothers that were breastfeeding, for black students, for immigrant students and, and it that's really where I started learning about HSIs and then once I started learning about HSIs um, I kind of got bit by the HSI bug um, I worked as a STEM pe- specialist under a title five grant at NEIU uh, for the student center for science engagement I was a STEM advisor and I just thought you know what what a wonderful way um, to serve our students and so I started learning more about HSIs, started getting more into it. Um, and when I decided to finally start applying for faculty jobs, that was that was kind of my, my litmus test was, um, is the institution an HSI? Do they say that in their website? And if they did, I'd apply. Um, there weren't that many, but there were, there were enough that, you know, a handful that had mentioned something about being an HSI that I was able to apply to those places. And so that's, that's really how it got going. No, and I think there's, it's everything that Paloma has mentioned, right? I think we share a lot of commonality, uh, more so not just from the border region, but also, you know, this experience about being first generation. And then what is it like to navigate campuses, right? I think for me, having had attended Cal State San Marcos, it was such a great experience because we also, some of us took courses at Palomar College, which was the community college um, that is also in that area. And so, we, you know, we would take classes there. We had built Comuna there. And so it felt like we were at home. So somebody from the Improv Valley, like me, being from a small rural town, coming to a large town like or city like San Diego, it was a really big transition. In addition to then, you know, you're looking at socioeconomic status. So at that point, you know, we were trying to make ends meet. And so I had a really great comunidad, you know, near me. And then I participated in Mecha. I love the fact that Kelsey San Marcos had Mecha because I think that really provided a safety net for us. I mean, we had cumbia, duranguense, and I mean, everything just felt like, you know, it was part of it. Like every time we would go dancing and you'd hear that, it was just like, we were ready and it was exciting. We saw Cesar Chavez, even the speakers that they brought forth at the institution were really important in our development. Like that was the first time I had ever met uh, Dolores Huerta. And mind you, like I'm from a rural community that has a predominant like agricultural community. And yet I I had never read about Dolores Huerta, which is tragic, right? When you think about it. So for me, I think being at an HSI, that serving this piece, even though at that point, I think HSIs back in 2005, (laughs) 
when I first started, I think it was just started to build up. We didn't have a Latinx center like it does now or a multicultural center like it does now. But I'm very grateful for the fact that there have been people that have advocated and supported students there because you can see the changes, the transitions and the support that they have now. And I would venture to say that also my experience at San Diego State and at San Diego Mesa College, having worked there and other institutions that are also HSIs have really given me a different viewpoint of what it means to serve Latinx students, not from a perspective of our own, like building, for example, at San Diego Mesa College, we build a Latinx alliance and the Latinx alliance from, you know, HSIs and the designation that we had, we figured out ways to support our students from like having a series of speakers that were faculty comprised of faculty, administrators, and students, students that were working at an HSI, right? And these students were from different fields, from, from computer science to, you know, the humanities. And it was great to hear from them what benefits they were receiving, not just at the STEM Center that were funded by, you know, HSI funds, but also their... Um, ability to connect these services and individuals, faculty and counselors that were really supporting their academic journeys and beyond, right? Like having that personal connection, what did it do for their whole experience and beyond? So these relationships that they held, they maintained throughout. And I think that that, that was my experience. So in the experience and my workforce and my experience, right, as a student, and having that and paving the way for others too, is really, really important. And I think when I conceptualize serving this for me, it's really looking at every step and more, more importantly, those forks in the road where it's instant, instantaneous, right? Some things can happen to a student and it can change lived realities for them, right? So making sure that they have people who can support their journeys, because I know that I've been privy enough and privileged enough to have been supported throughout my academic journey in and inside and outside of academic spaces. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I think what I love about that question so much is that like y'all reinforce this idea that HSI is a feeling, right? Because like this, the idea of serving this and all the research I do, as y'all know, is like, it's theoretical, there's frameworks, you know, there's like ways for us to think about it. But the reality is the way y'all described it right now is like, it feels, you can feel HSI, right? That point at which we, we know we're an HSI everybody should be able to describe, well, like there's mariachi on Tuesday, right? Like one of the first articles I wrote for my dissertation, there's an article, there's a quote from a student who said, I was in class and I heard mariachi in, and it just felt good, right? That exact same feeling of like, I, it feels, it feels a certain way, right? Um, and I get to learn about Dolores Huerta for the first time, even though I'm 18 years old, I should have learned about that a long time ago, right? Like those sort of things is like, but at least we're providing that space, right? So so thank you for that, because I, I always love it. And I've heard both of your stories before and, and still I, I really enjoy it. But let's talk about the Alliance of Hispanic Serene Institution Educators, an organization that supports practitioners through professional learning, collaboration, engagement, and sharing best practice in order to ensure that Latina, Latino, Latinx students thrive academically, professionally, and personally through the lens of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Let's start with the origin story. I want to know, how did I see come about? So talk to us about the origin story. Well, you know, thank you, Gina, for reading that question, because that's a mouthful. Uh, but ASI uh, is, is how, how we refer to the Alliance of Hispanic Serving Institution Educators as well. Um, 
the story of how this organization got started um, really goes back about 15 years. So we'll have a, a quinceañera this year. Um, Yes, we'll talk. I know Yolanda is going to bring that up in a little bit. Um, but the the organization really got started when, um, you know, it was particularly for individuals um, that got together thinking about how do we how do we share what we know about Title V grants? At the time, it was really only just Title V grants that were coming up and Title Threes were coming up a few years after that. Um, but they got together and started having meetings to share information with each other. And um, one of our, our founders, David Trujillo, um, there was David Trujillo, Victor Davila, uh, Jennifer Gomez Chavez, um, Daniel Loera, uh, a number of folks that then got together and um, started this organization as a small council, I, I believe at the beginning there were 10 or 12 folks that got together um, and started this idea of holding together a conference where people could share best practices. And it started off really small. It started off, you know, University of New Mexico, um, getting folks together. David at the time was in that, working in that area. And really just starting sharing what was going to help them learn to implement these grants. They were new um, in the, the higher education um, landscape. Uh, how do they go through the processes of gaining support from their institutions? And how do they center um, Latinx students. And I, you know, this was all really new when we think, you know, 15 years ago doesn't seem like that long ago, but in the, the landscape of HSIs, it was a long time ago. You know, uh, I, I think that the three of us on, on this uh, podcast right now, you know, we were, we were up and coming, right? We were like getting our, getting that information, learning about what is that, what is an HSI? What is the definition of these institutions? And these folks, uh, particularly David, um, they were at the forefront of how do we get this information out to the rest of the community? And at that time, the number of HSIs was really small. It wasn't in the, you know, few hundreds that it is now. Um, and they just wanted to be able to be supported to create comunidad, to create familia. And that's basically how ASI started. It was, you know, individuals coming together for a greater cause. Thank you for that background story, that origin story. And you named all the, the I want to call them elders, but I feel like they're too young to call them elders yet, right? But, and they're probably all going to be mad at me if I call them elders. <laughs> but but that's the reality is, right? That they had this, this idea to even come together and said, we need to support each other in this HSI work, right? Because it was, it was lonely work. <laughs> it's still lonely work, it's right? Lonely having, work. yeah, it's still lonely work having been a, an HSI implementer, but for sure, right? Like early on. Um, but yeah, Victor Davila will be on an episode um, in season two as well. And he talks a little bit about, about some of the early, early times um, as well. 
But let's talk about one of the big events that y'all do, which is the annual best practices conference, an important uh, gathering of HSI um, practitioners and educators to come together. So talk to me a little bit about the conference in general and about this year's quinceanera celebration. Insert the dancing, the dancing girl emoji. <laughs> uh, I know. Paloma and I are ready. We are ready. I was telling Paloma we're going to show up in our best attire. I'm going to be wearing a ball gown. I'm getting it customized. We're doing the vals. So we're going to pull, you know, Cheyenne and Tiempo de Vals. So we're really excited. We're about to do, have a show. It's a celebration. And if you think about like what it means, right? It's like not just best practices for us, but we're looking at celebrating, you know, crecimiento, you know, growth. We're looking at the past. We're looking at the present. We're looking at the future, right? And that's really, really important for the organization, not just with the position of the executive director, which was a great move. It was an investment within the organization. But like Paloma just outlined, it was honoring the work of not just these four individuals, but the work of HSINS as a whole, the people involved, respecting the community, the growth, and making sure, right, that we were addressing what were the needs of our Latinx, uh, Latine, you know, AO community. And I think from that important point, we're looking at how all of this manifests, what have things have been, you know, working from the practitioner standpoint, and what has been exacerbated by the pandemic. We're really taking a deep dive and understanding the impact of it for our students, but also our community, right? Our community of practitioners. What does that do for our work? Has it made it more challenging now that we're transitioning more into an in-person environment again? What challenges are we still facing? What questions, you know, are going to be, you know, more important as we think about racial, social, economic, and health inequities? More so really pointing out the health inequities that are faced because of the pandemic. We're also talking about, you know, creating that idea that we, we can share ideas, that network, the partnerships, and talk about the influence of the policy, right, and how it's designed to increase student success. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about what that looks like from that um, best practices approach. And we're really excited to have this opportunity to, you know, connect with everybody there. And it's going to be in San Francisco. So it's a really great, you know, venue. And it's going to be really, really exciting. It is from March 12th through the 15th. And so save the date, y'all. Save the date and register. And we're really excited again. I don't know if you want to add anything, Paloma. Um, yes, I want to add that I also got nice shoes. Um, so Yolanda is is making me. Um, uh, I don't know that we're gonna dance, but I, I'm actually like a very shy person in real life. Um, so, but but Yolanda is uh, saying that we'll 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 do something. But I, I think this really marks a pivotal point for us as an organization. Fifteen years is, um, you know, not only, as Yolanda said, celebrating the folks that really got us going in this work or got us going in this work, but also celebrating where we are as an organization. Um, you know, I think this is one of those spaces or those times, those um, marks in, in our timeline where this is an opportunity for us to really showcase um, not just the work that ASI does, but the work that our practitioners do. Um, and, you know, sometimes I wish we had recordings of those, you know, back before HyFlex, back before Zoom, 
uh, back in those early conferences where, you know, we could have recordings of what people were talking about then and compare that to what we're talking about now and how things have changed and how things have stayed the same. So, uh, you know, as Yolanda mentioned, the, the conference this year is going to be in San Francisco um, and it's going to be March uh, 13th to the 15th. I'm going to say that real slow. 13th to the 15th um, in the Hyatt Regency, San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, on average, we generally have about 500 attendees to the conference. Um, last year was our first year back in person, and it was a very successful conference. So we just want to invite everybody to come and learn from each other. I think that's what ASI is about. It's about comunidad. It's about learning from the great things that we all do on our own campuses. Often when I go to, to, to conferences or to different professional developments, right? We, we look at the people that um, are doing all of these great things. Um, you know, we, we think about you, Gina, in the HSI space. Um, and ASI, I think what we do is we give a platform to the people that are on the ground that are doing all of that practitioner work that are, you know, day to day with our students. And we want to be able to highlight them. So really, this is a celebration of their work um, and their support of ASI as well. Absolutely. I'll jump in and say I go every year. I'm an honored to be invited to, to attend. And um, I agree, it's a great place for practitioners doing the work. So anybody listening that's thinking, well, am I, should I go to the conference? Am I like, should I be attending the SD conference? If you are on the ground doing the work, yes, <laughs> absolutely, right? It's a good place for Title V directors and implementers and faculty and leaders and deans and folks who are at HSIs trying to move the organization. Um, and it's it's a great space to learn, right? Like from other people, what are other people doing? Uh, practitioners who are doing the work are, are doing the presentations. It's not like a fancy research conference where you have to go listen to a, you know, all these research talks and it's not that it's, it's, Hey, this is what we're doing in practice. And this is how you can learn uh, from the work. So, but yes, I'm excited and happy to be there. Now y'all are making me think I need like a custom gown or something. Be like, what are you wearing, Gina, Dr. Garcia? What are you wearing on the red carpet today? <laughs> I might. You know, might the shoes got to represent. The shoes got to represent. And yes, we are dancing, Paloma. Yes, we are. We're going to have to get a red carpet now. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. But I agree. The shoes, I'm going to, I always start with the shoes. So let me start with the shoes and then, then the fancy gown. Um, but I'm dancing with y'all too. So, so yes, if you're listening, you should go uh, register, register now, go ahead. And while you're listening, uh, log in and, and register for the conference. So beyond the conference, what other programs and services do y'all offer to HSI practitioners? We have a lot to offer here at ASNI, and so we have what we call the Standalone Institute, so we'll start with that. And we have an array, an array of programs. Like this year, for example, in the fall, we talked, we started off HSI week with having like our member Marcus and virtual open house. So we talked a little bit about what we were offering at ASNI. We're talking about the future of ASNI. We also had a leadership meet and greet with yours truly. And of course, with Dr. Paloma Vargas, which we talked a little bit about what that growth was for ASI, and then what were the next steps, how did we envision, and then just having like that touch, you know, with the community and making sure that they understood this is who we are. We want to make sure we connect with you 
and want to hear your voice and what we need to do in order to better serve you in this capacity as both president and executive director. We also had an HSI eligibility application and waiver form uh, webinar and was facilitated by Paloma and Dr. Franco, and they provided a wealth of information regarding the eligibility application. And again, what's really great about ASI is that it's the practitioners guiding the work. So they provided clear examples of eligibility from their viewpoint, right? Where they were at the institution, the different institutional types that were represented in that space. And it allowed, you know, other practitioners to kind of see, oh, this is how they did it. Because as we've seen, right, we can have these these processes in place, but sometimes we just don't know how to do that. We don't know what is required, how is it interpreted, and how do we move forward in submitting in the submission process, understanding that HSIs and the grants overall are very competitive and only a select few, obviously we've seen it, um, get you know, are awarded funding. So really, really important piece of work. We also had in October our Equity Data Institute, which was huge, I think, in terms of like planning for us. And we partnered with Haku, various institutions. We had a president's panel. And we talked a little bit about how do we utilize data, not just to submit, again, the forms and our annual performance reports in particular, but also how do we use data and maximize these efforts in communicating within our institutions and outside our institutions? So, for example, the HSI dashboard that um, Haku had created helped us kind of connect the dots in seeing how we could utilize external information in order to then look at how we're collecting data at the institutions and then look at how all of these are taken into consideration. And then we had specific examples of how we conceptualize data. So Dr. Antonio Duran led that initial conversation about how do we come about to recognize data depending on where you are, right? You might be a program director and you don't know how to, you know, you're not really familiar on HSI data. So these are the resources. Or you might be in the institutional effectiveness or institutional research departments and you might be more familiar with the work. However, how do we communicate with our program directors? What are the gaps in between communications via departments, via institutions, and again, institutional types? And then the president's panel, to summarize it, it was really talking about how, what priorities do the president have? How do these inform the decisions that we make based off of funding? And it really brought it all together in terms of how they utilize data to make informed decisions. And then how is HSI then and the work in leveraging student resources from their viewpoint. So it was really, really, really a great opportunity for the organization. And coming on tomorrow, actually, we're having our new HSI Grants Award Assistance Workshop led by um, Adrian Arvijo Morgan and Dr. Juan Carlos Reina, Victor Davila, actually. So we're looking forward in terms of how we're, they're looking at how program directors and any novice HSI grants Grant Title V Part A and B and Title III Part F implementers gain introductory understanding of project startup. So that's just that's just on the you know stand the standalone institutes. But so for the conference institutes, we have three for aspiring and emerging HSI institutes, HSI Grant Implementation Institutes, and Student Leadership Institutes. And I'll talk a little bit about how exciting it is to talk about emerging HSIs because that's another thing that we have included in here as part of like 
how do we engage emerging youth societies and what kind of resources can we complement with each other, what the current HSIs have done in order to be successful in their programs, and what emerging HSIs can learn from this. Well, stop there. Anything else you'd like to add, Paloma? No, I think you covered it. Definitely a bunch of services for people who are listening. Um, by the way, when uh, she said it's tomorrow, you know, we're recording in advance, so you'll have missed it <laughs> already. But don't worry, it's going to loop oh, back that's around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the events will loop back around next year. Don't worry. Um, I think one of the important ones that I love that y'all offered was the like eligibility process because people ask me about that all the time. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't do it. I mean, I generally know the process, but like that is such an important process that if people miss like input things wrong or they miss the deadline, it's like you have you miss you miss it. Right. You can't become an HSI for the year, which is wild. Um, but yeah, so I, I love that y'all are doing those sort of things to help people know there's there's some intricate details that go into learning, right, about even just the basics of becoming an HSI, of be getting the designation. Um, so yeah, thank you for for giving an overview of some of the, the things y'all are offering. And I know you're you're continuing to think of more programming, programming beyond the conference. Um but let's talk a little bit about uh, the benefits, like people that are listening that maybe aren't members. What are the benefits? Why should they join? Um, tell us about that. Well, that's a great question. So our membership um, is really growing and the the um, services that we can provide through our membership are expanding. So one of the really exciting parts of being a member is that we've developed uh, with the help of counsel and contribution from a lot of individuals, including Dr. Marla Franco, who was in the first season, um, a journal. So the journal, uh, the ASI journal really stemmed from that need and feedback from our membership of wanting to have a place to showcase what they're doing as practitioners. Um, you know, when we publish and when we think about publication, we think about um, you know, other journals, or we think about um, having to be a professor, or maybe it's a researcher or a research professor. Um, but there really aren't that many places where we're showcasing the work of the everyday practitioner, the staff, the grant director, um, the uh, maybe even the students that are helping the student workers that are participating in some of these activities to through Title III, Title V, and the NSF uh, HSI STEM grants. So one of the benefits that we have as part of our membership is um, access to the journal. So that is fantastic, um, I think, uh, from our part as I see and something that we're really excited to continue to promote and grow. Um, another uh, benefit of being a member, um, obviously with every membership is reduced rates for fees for our conference, for our institutes that Yolanda just talked about, um, for webinars um, and different opportunities. That always is, is something that I think as, uh, you know, former grant directors and uh, folks that were on Title Fives and Title Threes, we're thinking about the money, right? about what am I going to get out of this? Um, the other part that I've found very beneficial, even myself um, serving as president, uh, I don't know everybody that's in the HSI community. It's a massive community. And so what this has allowed is that um, if I have a question, if I'm thinking about 
um, you know, who might be somebody that I can reach out to? Um, obviously, you know, we all have networks and we can reach out to our network, but um, our Aussie member portal actually has a directory um, where you can look people up um, and find out where they're at. So if you have a question about maybe you saw a program at a different conference or at Aussie, you came to our conference and you were thinking, oh, well, that person is from um Oxnard College. Uh, you know, I wonder who's at Oxnard College or who's the grant director in that institution. If that person is a member, then you can find their informa information in the member directory and reach out to them. And there's there's ability to reach out to them within the member portal and then outside of the member portal as well. So there are a, a number of benefits. Um, what I would really say is go check it out. Um, you know, check out what we do, uh, and you'll see that uh, the the benefits as far as like what you're getting in return for your membership. It you know what you're getting in return is way worth more than what you're going to pay for a membership, um, and you're also going to join a community of people that care about the same things that you care about. Um, you know, even, you know, as we all have our differences, we all have our different priorities. I think what I've found in the ASI community is that we all have this um, hunger and love for student-centeredness. And that's really important to us in, at ASI is that we continue to focus on our students and what better way to focus on our students than by supporting the people that work with our students through membership. Absolutely. I agree. It is a great space to meet other people who are doing this work. Um, and I love, uh, Yolanda, you mentioned that you're bringing emerging HSIs into it. I think that's important for us to really say here, right? Like folks that are at emerging institutions can join, can come to the conference. Um, some of your leadership is at, at, you know, at emerging HSIs, right? Mm -hmm. Institutions that are trying to figure it out, um, which is important. Why wait till you get to 25%? That's a lot of Latino students already by the time you hit 25%, right? Like, Start sooner, start early, start now. Um, so yeah, so thank you for that. So in my new book, Transforming HSIs for Equity and Justice, which I will be signing at the conference, so bring your book, I call on, I call see an, an external influence, right? And that's this idea that HSIs are doing the work within the institution, but there's folks beyond the institution or, or influences or forces from an HSI or from a higher ed context, really, um, that also affect whether or not we can do this serving this work and or help us do this work. Um, and so in the book, I place y'all like clearly in that space of saying, ASI is, is helping institutions to, to do better serving this work. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, about that in general, um, if y'all agree with that assessment and in what ways it's challenging to support people from outside of the organization. Right, because when you're inside, it's very different to be able to move the work versus being outside. So talk to me a little bit about that as a, as an external influence. Yeah. Um, so one of the the great things that I've learned about ASI and why I wanted to join ASI was specifically that external influence. Um, when I started as an HSI director at a small liberal arts college, Cal Lutheran, um, in the 805. And Dr. Garcia knows knows all about that. Uh, but when I started there, that was that was when I really first started going to SC. And um it was very clear to me from the first conference that I attended 
the level of influence that this organization has on practice and policy. So we may not be within the institution, but we're certainly a place where um, practitioners learn from each other and that creates a level of influence. Not only does it create a level of influence as far as practice, um, but it also creates a level of spherical influence. And by that, I mean that you now have connections with folks that you're gonna be able to bounce ideas off of or ask how they implemented something within their own institution. Um, I see also have, we also have our fantastic institutes and you know the institutes were one of the first places that I actually engaged with um, I see. Um, I remember Dr. Jeannie Kim was leading this um, institute on grant management or project management. And I walk into this space and I was completely blown away with what could be done with a Title III or a Title V grant that I wasn't fully aware of. And through these conversations and through talking to experts, folks that have been on the ground that are doing the work, um, you know, folks like like you, Gina, folks like Yolanda, uh, folks like myself that have actually been in those trenches, if you will, doing the HSI work. Um, I think it really helps us have a better understanding of HSIs and policy outside of our own institutions. And so I, I really love this idea that we're, uh, ASI as an organization is an external influence um, because what we really want to do at the end of the day is support our students. And what, you know, we, we have to be able to do that in a way where we're also supporting our practitioners and that they can take away from the conference, from the institutes, from the connections that they make through ASI, um, even just through our website, um, ASI.org, from having and pulling from all of those different areas and taking it back to their campuses or even directing their leadership to the website, to the conference, to those different spaces and saying, look at the work that is being done at other institutions. Um, something I forgot to, to mention about our membership portal is that we do have uh, a repository of presentations from previous conferences that members are able to access. That's been really cool for me to look through and look at, okay, this college did this specific activity in this specific way. Maybe that won't work for our students exactly, but that's a framework that I can then reach out to this person or look at what they've been doing and maybe model it after that. Perhaps they don't have a publication that I can go look at, but we do have within that member portal that presentation and get more information. So um, I like that, you know, Aussie is influencers. Now, if we could only be an Insta influencer. <laughs> You're getting there slowly. Okay, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yolanda, your role as the executive director, you're now able to also um, influence, but uh, interact with some of the other external influences like Haku, Excellencia in Education, others, right? That are also, I, I categorize in that in that in that space. Talk to us a little bit about some of that, like how you have been starting to like collaborate with some of the other external influences. That has been great, honestly. Thank you for saying that first. 
I think with Paloma and I have been in conversations with Excellency in Education, and we really want to thank uh, Deborah Santiago and Jennifer Gomez Chavez, which Jennifer also was part of ASI at some point. So you could see that there's a lift and there's an intentionality now in creating, you know, this bridge between what, what do they do, right? Understanding what they do. What do we do? How do we support each other? Same thing with Haku, right? How do we partner? It may be the Institute, but how do we provide, you know, more information to the practitioners because they're understanding, right? All of these partnerships really benefit our larger community. And that's really been what that external influence has been for our Aussie practitioners is understanding that we are in communication. We're making sure that that information that is being received from, you know, these major uh, leaders right within the nonprofit world and the larger organizations that really have an, also an external influence. And also, I would add that the U.S. Department of Education, in particular with our relationship with both Beatrice and Stacy, has been really influential now in the work that we're doing and making sure that we communicate. What things do we need to communicate to our practitioners? And that has been a very unique experience, not just for me as the inaugural executive director, but I think even for Paloma and our council members, they're looking at how we're, we're understanding the complexity of serving this within HSIs and emerging HSIs. And what does that look like? What work do we need to do all together for the betterment of our institutions and our students? And I will say to the external partnerships, so I want to thank uh, the executive director, Jason Gilbu, for allowing me to be part of ASH this year, because it was transformational also for me as an executive director to get to engage with other practitioners like Dr. Garcia, Marcela Collar, Dr. Silvia Hurtado. It was just a really great opportunity to talk about, you know, Hispanic serving institution research. Um, HSI uh, research one institutions. What is what are the work that they're doing? What kinds of questions is are other people you know looking into? What is the role of the emerging HSI? So, getting these connections and making sure that that comes back to council and the larger ASU uh, community is really what is informing the future for praxis and institutes, but also the future of what we need to offer and keep in mind as we're we're serving our practitioners. Um, for the organization. So thank you for that. Dean. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been able to watch, right, the emergence of the executive director position and, and see the importance of like those connections, right? I see all your posts on Instagram talking about Instagram influencers, right, of like the big folks you're working with in these different spaces, which I think is exciting, right, for the organization to continue to grow because I, I think y'all are growing, right? And I, it's it's been fun to watch as somebody who's been um, working with y'all for the past, I guess, now five or six years. Longer. Seven, uh, I think, Gina. Seven? Ooh, seven years, like half of your existence. I didn't even know until this year that was 15 years, right, the, the annual Best Kept Practices Conference. Um, so yeah, I've been able to, to, to even watch that growth, which is, which is a lot of fun. So one thing I, I also admire about y'all's work, um, particularly watching the leadership of ASI, is um, the ways in which y'all like center not only students' identities, but also the way your identities, right, your racial, gender, uh, ethnic, linguistic identities come into um, your leadership. So tell me a little bit about that, about how that plays into your the ways y'all are leading this organization that is centering HSIs, yet we know HSIs often do identity-neutral work. I don't see that with y'all. So talk to me a little bit about that, about how y'all bring your identities into your leadership practices in, in ASEAN. 
So I will say that from that viewpoint, we've talked a little bit about in the previous, in one of the previous episodes about querying HSIs and Dr. Angel Gonzalez and myself have been really looking at that specific subset of, you know, intersectionality and the inclusion of LGBTQ plus uh, voices. What has that done to queer and not just queer from like a perspective of bringing in LGBTQ plus voices, but also complicating identity as a whole for HSIs? And how do we prioritize um, funding for HSIs? And I think that really came into development after the work and seeing Dr. Garcia in particular, the work of Dr. Marla Franco and other another likes of looking at, hey, there isn't a space specifically for LGBTQ plus communities. When I looked at that multi-conceptual framework and thinking about that white supremacy piece for me, it was like, oh, how do we complicate this? And for me, as a person that self-identifies as, you know, bisexual, in addition to the multiple identities that I hold and what that experience has done for my own academic journey. And I think that creating that sense of belonging is really crucial. And we talk about that feeling, right, earlier today. And I think for me, it's how do we increase that feeling? How do we create in that intentionality in the servingness component to ensure that those voices are represented? So I will stop a little bit there. Paloma. Oh, I love this question. Um, you know, Yolanda brought up um, her queer identity and her identity as bisexual. And I think it's one of the beautiful things about ASI and being on the council is that we're in a supportive community and a supportive space where we can all really um, talk about our identities. And so you have an organization that is now being led by uh, two queer individuals, uh, which I don't think we see a lot in the HSI space where it all make me, we might be like pioneers, Yolanda, and didn't even know it. Um, but for me, this is a hundred percent, my, my intersectionalities are a hundred percent what helps, um, guide my practice and my leadership at ASI. Um, my pronouns are she, they, ed, ella, uh, most of the time, she, sometimes they. Uh, but that's something that I think about when I think about our council members and when I think about our practitioners. Um, and Yolanda also does this where we, I, I think the entire council does, where we think about, okay, like, how is this going to influence how our um, membership is going to be supported in the conference? Um, how are we looking at accessibility within these spaces? Um, for me, um, Dreamer students, documented students, undocumented students and their families are very important. And so we've taken steps as an organization to ensure that our seed to tree scholarship doesn't have, you know, U.S. citizenship requirements. Um, we don't need that. Our students are HSI students, and that's all we need to know. Not, well, we need to know a lot of other things about them. But um one of the areas is is really creating that accessibility and creating that student centeredness. Um, and so we continue to look at, you know, what does our intersection look like? And it's not just myself or Yolanda as um, the executive team, essentially, it's all of our council members, um, you know, bringing in, are they first generation? Are they, were they um, their family members, uh, part of migrant community or farm worker community, uh, were they 
um, are they multi-generational students? Um, and they bring these different perspectives. And, you know, that's what I love about serving on council uh, is that folks bring their identities with them because we've created a space where it's safe to do so. Um, we share with each other, we connect with each other, we support each other through loss and love and life. Um, and it informs the way that we move forward, not only as an organization, but as a council. How do we support each other? Um, you know, for me, uh, being part of the LGBTQ community is a massive part of my identity. Um, and I've only ever received positivity and love from members of our council. Um, we've had uh, mass shootings at um, institutions or locations where the LGBTQ community gathers. They're the first ones to reach out. Um, and you, Gina. Uh, they're, the, they're, they're the ones that, you know, check in on us. And we do the same with them. Hurricanes, right? Some of our uh, council members live in Florida. And for us, you know, that's the first and foremost is that they're familia. There are our people that we're going to go to. And um, I think that says a lot about our uh, Latinidad, our BIPOCness, our um, cultural identities and backgrounds as council members that um, we have that really ingrained in, in ourselves that we are a community and we're here to support each other. Absolutely. I think that, um, I mean, I asked that question because it, it is important, right? That I, I I see that and I acknowledge that, right? That this organization is led by the people for the people kind of organization, right? Which is distinctly different than HSIs. As we know, HSIs continue to be led predominantly by white high level administrators and 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 also white faculty right and and so that's a huge conversation within HSIs yet ASI and the other uh external influences that we mentioned like Haku Excelencia and education are led by Latinx folks right that are really committed to doing this work and and leading leading the way in this way in this in this important endeavor so um I wanted to make sure we elevate that and we acknowledge that 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 that's the case um so yeah I stay standing y'all and I, I love uh, you know seeing the work that y'all y'all are doing as folks that have like um a pulse on what's going on at the HSI world at this like national level what do you think we should be thinking about like the most interesting HSI topics um that you're seeing uh that maybe are coming up at the conference or that we should be talking about um in in HSI world that's really something that has captivated me I told Paloma that I thought this was really important, um, this concept and this, you know, topic of trauma-informed practices, particularly after, or right now that we're experiencing kind of like the aftermath of COVID. Um, but how has that impacted our um, students? And there was a study that is called, is titled Hispanic Students in Higher Education, a Case for Trauma-Informed Approaches by Joy Patton and Tylene uh, Capri. And they did a study that looked at like participants at um at a private, a small HSI. And they looked at like the variables of trauma, what were the assumptions and the principles of trauma. And I thought, you know what, there's so much that has happened to our Latinx communities. How has this really impacted them? And I thought about this was a private college. 
What has it been at other, you know, institutions? How has this impacted them? How has this impacted our family, our families? And I thought that study really, really captured my my brain in terms of like, yeah, you're right. The serving this piece isn't just about, you know, our students too. It's how has it impacted our stakeholders, right? At our institutions and our overall community. And what all of a sudden, like now we're back in person and we forget that all of this happened, that there was a profound loss, right? In our community, that study highlighted um, that there were higher levels um, for Latinx uh, folk or Hispanics in, in the United States that experienced at least one death in the family. And when you think about that, I mean, this is trauma. This is trauma that they're now carrying. This is impacting the in-classroom environments. It's not like overnight, we just tend to forget this. And I think that the trauma-informed practices in the work that we're doing with HSIs, the funding, these conversations that need to occur are really, really crucial. And maybe like in providing um, funding specifically for counseling support. And I think about everything Paloma just talked about, right? Intersectionality of identities exacerbate that when you have compoundedness of identities. What does that do for, you know, the experience overall? So that was one. And I also want to highlight the work that Doctora Franco and Doctora Cindy Muniz have done, um, and they're both council members for ASI. And they talk about centering servingness, um, framework-informed assessment of Hispanic serving institutions. They utilize the frameworks of the seal of excelencia and multidimensional servingness. And I love the way that they're able to capture that, not just from their positions, but from the work that they're currently doing. Um, in and outside of their jobs, right, as council members, as everything else, and looking at how they put all of these pieces together in a very successful way. And really, again, being intentional about the work, not just in producing another article, but looking at how do we utilize these, how do we implement these, and how do we provide crucial assessment throughout, and how much assessment does it have to be, who needs to be included in these conversations. And I think as practitioners, sometimes we don't know how to do that, how to leverage the resources that we have. And I found that to be fascinating in the work. But I'll stop there because I know that I can talk about all these other articles, but I'm fascinated about the HSI work. And I love, you know, also hearing more about the work that other HSI uh, folk are doing. I was going to say, you just nerded out on that on that question. <laughs> Yeah, you nerded out on the research. I love it. We can drop that article, by the way, in the show notes. Um, I agree. That article is really good um, about how to use like theory in practice and what it looks like. So we'll drop it in the show notes. Paloma, you want to add? Yeah, definitely. So centering servingness and this idea of servingness in general has been really fascinating to me for a while. Um, and, you know, Gina, you've you've been the one that's been leading that conversation for some time now. Um, and, and for me, this article that um, Drs. Marla Franco and Cindy Muniz put forward, um, I feel like, it, you know, it's a framework, right? It's a framework for informed assessment of where you're at at an HSI. And I think it's, uh, it brings in the seal of excelencia. Um, and it also gave me uh, some food for thought about what else do we need to do? This that can't be the the stop, right? That obtaining a seal or obtaining a certificate or obtaining, um, you know, some sort of acknowledgement that you're doing well. 
can't be where you stop in your servingness journey um, as an institution, as a national organization for us, he, um, as, as an academic institution. That's not, you can't stop there. That, that should just be one piece of it, um, which kind of brings me to two different areas that I've been interested in for a very long time, and one of them is strategic planning. Um, and I listened to Dr. Maribel Jimenez's um, episode, and she and I have talked on, on a couple of occasions of how this isn't an area that has been fully explored or explored at all, really. I think there's maybe one article out there, um, and I don't know the title or the, the, the authors. I'm not that kind of nerd. Um, I'll talk to you about parasites all day, but don't ask me about who wrote something. Uh, but I, I think it's really important for us as HSIs to start thinking about our strategic initiatives and our strategic planning and how we're incorporating our HSI-ness and our servingness into these plans. Um, there's some work out there that, that really shows that strategic plans in general, they're not HSI-specific, uh, these pieces of work, but the strategic plan in general, that's what's going to drive the institution. Um, and if we can get things like HSI and our mission and vision part of the strategic plan, if we can get um, HSI initiatives as part of the strategic plan, not under the um, umbrella of inclusion, but its own pillar um, and saying as an HSI, this is what we're gonna champion. I think that's gonna be fantastic. And I'd love to see more work on that. And then the second piece, which is not my idea, um, there's a um, up and coming professional who I have a lot of respect for. Her name is Diana Hernandez and she works in admissions at California Lutheran University. Um, I believe she's their assistant director of admissions. Um, she's been asking about admissions for a long time. She, you know, we used to work together and she used to ask, who's doing work on admissions and how admissions at HSIs work? Um, and I know she's been wanting to, to talk to you, Gina, for a while, but that's an area that we haven't explored, you know, and I, I think for many of us, when we think about our HSIs, um, we think about that urban um, contextualization or that rural contextualization where we think of very large Latinx populations, and then the college just kind of happens to become an HSI. Um, but what's where's there? Was there intentionality there? What were the outreach efforts um, for some of these colleges? you know, there's a little tiny pocket of Latinx community and they're at like 40%. How did you get there? Um, so I'd love to see some more work on that. Um, I for sure know that there is zero on admissions because I've Googled it many times um, and, you know, uh, would be happy to work with anybody on that. Um, but that's something that's really at the forefront of my mind of how do we, how do we be intentionally become HSIs? I agree. That's an area under underserved, uh, understudied. Um, and I've talked to that with your council member, Elizabeth Gonzalez, because, you know, her serving as the HSI director at, at UCLA, you know, we've kind of had those conversations. I'm like, mm -hmm. we, we don't, we don't have a lot of research on how do you actually get there. Right. And there's institutions like a UCLA, UC Berkeley's big, big name co colleges and universities that want to be HSIs and are trying to figure out that piece, right? And that's a piece we just have not studied sufficiently because we came into this work knowing, well, HSIs are already there, right? The, the, the recruitment and, 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 and outreach stuff 
had already happened. Um, so yeah, I agree. All all important areas for us to talk about. So thank you all for for nerding out with me on that. That was that was cool. Um, final question. You both know you don't get out of the pod without ask, answering the final question. So how do you how do you lead us with uh, leave us with the answer to qué pasa HSIs? All right. So I think qué pasa HSIs is that change is never ending, and we have to continue to find ways to support our Latinx Latinx students. Um, and we can do only do that through our practice and practitioners. And I think that's what's going on at HSIs. And I'll just briefly add to that, that I think FSI HSIs is a pulse. And it's maintaining that momentum and making sure that we have what the practitioners need. So we're at the forefront of it and not behind. Pulse and change. I love it. I love both of that. Thank you both for being here with me today. And I appreciate you both.